Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> I want to start off uh, the talk tonight with a passage that perhaps you're many of you are familiar with. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for realizing of Nibbana, the highest happiness, namely the establishment of mindfulness. I want to um, talk today, since we're just starting this journey together, about mindfulness. Uh, In my mind, I'm I'm calling it uh, an ode to mindfulness. And I want to, since you're going to be doing this practice for one month or two months, I want to remind us of um, just what we're doing here, why we're doing it, and offer some um, attitudes that I find particularly helpful in supporting this practice and this really amazing, profound project that we're on. I remember when I first got started with practice, one of the very first things that I, I read about the practice was this thin, relatively thin treatise by Nyanapanika Tara, uh, called The Power of Mindfulness. And I'm sure you can see it online or maybe get it through the uh, Buddhist uh, Publication Society. <clears throat> but I got a hold of it, just this uh, you know, relatively small book, after I heard about the practice and, um, and I was doing it for, some, for a little while by myself. But as I was reading it, it was like this, this magic book. And the more I read it, it's like, oh, wow. Oh, that's what's going on. Oh, that's how it works. Oh, my goodness. This stuff really works. And I remember kind of like shouting, like feeling like going down the streets, shouting to everybody that I knew, you just have to be mindful. You just have to be mindful. My friends kind of started slinking away from me, like, okay, you know, I think he's passionate about something. But there's still that, um, that passion inside of me. And as I, as I share the talk, I'm wanting to remind myself of that passion as well. And I have a feeling it's inside of 
most everybody here too. There's another book that's, that's beautiful that kind of points to, it, to this as well. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. Just the title kind of says it all. The Miracle of Mindfulness. And as the Buddha says in that, those opening lines of the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on which all of this practice and Buddhist meditation is based, this is the way, this is the direct method, the direct path, overcoming all sorrow and lamentation and realizing the highest happiness. Isn't that amazing? How can one thing do all of that? And how, how amazing it was that he saw that with deep clarity and wisdom that what he discovered under the tree, the full awakening of mind and heart, the full liberation could be attained through the development of this one factor. I mean, that's... Hmm just remembering the concept of Occam's razor, you know, which is the, the, simplif- the, the simpler you get, the more you are likely to you know, come to the, the pith of the truth. Well, this is the ultimate Occam's razor. Just mindfulness leads to it all. So as I share this, perhaps it might not be new to you, some of, some of what I share, maybe most of what I share, but I hope it can um, ignite that passion that you've felt for this practice, why you would sign up and do this. It must be a good reason, right? <clears throat> well, this is it. And now that you've, you've gotten through the first day, I know you did some talking today, so it's kind of like, oh, well... Oh, it's nice being here. And uh, the first day with a little bit of talking is not nearly as, um, is very different than the first day with, with not that feeling of connection and community. So I hope you, you appreciate it and, and feel that connection. But as we go in more and more deeply, this is going to be um, an internal journey, which from time to time will... Um, awaken the question, what am I doing here? <clears throat> Particularly on the first couple of days, few days. So uh, hopefully this will help support you in answering that question. So first, what, what is mindfulness? <clears throat> mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening right now, in this moment, without any kind of judgments or ideas about how you think things should be. Just a simple non-judging awareness without grasping, without pushing away, and without identifying with your experience. That's it. And I remember the first time I heard 
a talk on mindfulness uh, by Joseph Goldstein many years ago. He just laid out some simple aspects of mindfulness that I've been sharing ever since for almost 40 years now. Um, Very, very simple, but want to go over the, um, these different aspects. One, seeing things clearly just as they are. What a relief that you don't need to embellish your experience, make it less intense, pretend it's not what it is, or make it more than it is. I grew up in New York City where people live in superlatives. Like, this is the most intense day of my life. Even more than yesterday. And it's this, this squeezing a little extra out of the moment that somehow those who are inclined in that way um, get a little bit, feel that they're getting a little bit more out of the experience. That's completely unnecessary. You don't need to dramatize anything. Just calling it like it is. And it's such a relief to call it like it is. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to, you don't have to make anything happen other than notice what's already here. to seeing things as they are. That's the usual translation for the word vipassana, to see things clearly, to see things as they are. You know, maybe you remember, I remember when I was taking uh, a language and learning Spanish, it was my language in school, and after you learn, uh, what is your name, como se llama, what's the next thing? Como esta usted, how are you? And what's the right answer? Muy bien, gracias. You too? Very well, thank you. And you? That's the right answer. I never saw a textbook that said, I'm having a bummer of a day. (laughs) And we often go around in that kind of an attitude, oh, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, certainly you don't want to pour your heart out to everybody who comes by, but to just really see, oh, what's really going on? and to simply call it like it is. Very refreshing. And it aligns us with the truth. So seeing things just as they are, if you're feeling bored, not pretending that you're peaceful or just having a a wonderful experience, oh, I'm bored now. But it doesn't have to be, I'm going to die if that bell doesn't ring another minute. I'm bored out of my skull. Just, oh, this is boring. There's boredom here. Or if you're happy, it doesn't have to be skipping cartwheels. You know, I am so flying high. Just, I'm kind of happy now. Just calling it like it is. Or there's an itch on my nose. Or a pain in my heart. Just calling it like it is. How freeing. Seeing things clearly. Second aspect of mindfulness learning to be here in the present moment. This takes some practice, as I'm sure most of you, all of you know. 
it's not so easy to be here in the present moment. We have an amazing propensity to be a little bit ahead of ourselves or a lot ahead of ourselves. Oh my goodness, four weeks of this or eight weeks. Uh, The first time I did a a three-month retreat, by the third day, my mind was going mm, 15 weeks, three days, eight hours, 20 minutes to go. I'm never going to make it. And I, I was actually really scared at that point. And somebody fortunately gave a, a talk about patience. And, uh, oh, every time I saw myself toppling forward to the end, it was just a reminder, oh, what's happening right now? You know, if you find yourself toppling forward to the end, um, it'll get there sooner or later, but it's going to be a very long trip. And you're going to miss out on what's happening now while you're wondering about the end. So it's really being here in the present, not thinking about the past. Of course, thoughts about the past come up. They're natural. you know. And lots of memories come up, a very natural part of our experience. You might go through your whole life review while you're here, many times over. But every time you realize it, oh, life is happening right now. This is where connection is. This is where love is. This is where clarity is. This is where aliveness is. And it takes practice to just be here right now. But this is where life is happening. And so you just come back again and again. Oh, what's happening right now? seeing clearly, being here in the present. Third aspect of mindfulness that I learned that talk many years ago, as you start to pay attention to the present moment, something becomes increasingly clear. The present moment is constantly changing. Now, this might not seem like news, but to have it more than just a concept And the more we can directly experience for ourselves, moment after moment, day after day, week after week, month perhaps after month, but for all of the moments that you're here, to more and more understand and see for yourself that experience is continually transforming and changing, then it becomes an embodied understanding, not just an idea. And the more this is your frame of reference from which to live your life and lead your life, then you see every moment counts. Then no matter how difficult things are, when you truly understand that it's all changing, then you're not so afraid to face this moment. Then you see as the Buddha said, reflecting on impermanence continually, ah, this moment is a moment that will support my waking up. How can I meet it wisely? How can I truly open up with kindness, with compassion, with clarity, with wisdom? And you're not afraid 
knowing that it's going to pass, you want to use the opportunity. However, if you try to hurry it along, okay, they said it was going to pass, well, let's get on with it. Uh, it doesn't work. You know, because you are locking yourself into aversion to this moment, and that in itself perpetuates a contracted state. And the converse is true when you know that everything is passing, when there's something very sweet, of a moment of grace or blessing, of clarity, of love, of connection, of understanding, of joy, of deep well-being. If you know nothing lasts, why not be here for it? Not withholding on, because as soon as you hold on, saying, yeah, this is finally what I signed up for, okay, keep it up, bring it, bring it on. As soon as you try to hold on to it, again, this is a contracted state, which just cuts it off. But to really be present for it, to see, oh, this is joy, this is calm, this is love. Ah, this is it. Let yourself feel it. Then you are um, not missing out on these blessings in our life. And then, besides the seeing things clearly, being here in the present, noticing how things change, there is the non-judging part, the part that simply lets your experience be as it is, instead of the usual editorial comment that says, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be, or, oh my goodness, if I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this, and this is some kind of a mistake. But to really simply see life as it unfolds, a tremendous... Um, extra energy and bargaining or contention with the moment is released and there is simply presence. So, seeing things as they are, being here in the present, notice how things change and not judging our experience. This is the basic aspect, the different aspects of mindfulness. Here's one exercise that I've used for many years after hearing it first from Joseph to just remind you of how mindfulness works. If you feel like doing it with me, just put your hand out in front of you right now and move it slowly back and forth. Back and forth. And you might close your eyes as you're doing it and put all your attention on feeling movement Right now, is there any confusion, any fear, any tomorrow or yesterday? Is just feeling the movement. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. It's that simple, and in that simplicity, truly connecting with your experience, 
You are not in the past. You're not in the future. You don't have any any story going on in your mind that you uh, that you get lost in. There's just a simple connection, and there's a complete balance and wholeness that's here. And that same attitude can be um, focused on the breath, or on a sound, or on a sensation or on a feeling, on a deep emotion, on the thought process itself. Oh, this is what's happening. Ah. And in that moment, there's clarity and connection. As the Buddha says in that discourse, there are many different ways one can be mindful. You can be mindful of, as I just said, the breath or uh, different body sensations. You can be mindful of the flavor of experience, the feeling tone of experience. Oh, this is a pleasant moment. This is an unpleasant moment. This is a neutral moment. You can be mindful of different mind states. Oh, this is the mind with anger. This is the mind with lust. This is the mind with joy. This is the mind with love. And you can also be mindful in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, of various principles of how the mind works, how it gets caught in hindrances, how it becomes freed through developing awakening factors, how it can penetrate into uh, liberation through seeing the four noble truths, how we can understand this mind-body and body process through seeing this form as five aggregates or as six sense doors. You can be mindful any of those. They're all part of the Satipatthana Sutta. So not to think that any one way is the right way to be mindful or any one lens is the right lens. Oh, you know, sometimes you can feel, it can feel so exquisite to, to feel the subtleties of the breath as the mind becomes sharper, the awareness becomes sharper, and you can notice many, many sensations. And the mind can, I know it can, for me, has gone into, wow, this is it. Oh, this is real practice. I'm just noticing the, Hair follicles sway in the breeze as the breath comes in. Oh, cool. This is mindfulness. And if you get into that idea, oh, refined attention is really, is real mindfulness, then you miss out in seeing a moment of knowing there's confusion. Oh, and here's confused Buddha, as I sometimes say. Or here's foggy Buddha. Or here's freaked out Buddha. Okay. That is just as powerful and liberating a moment of mindfulness as noticing subtle sensations. So not to think that it looks any one way, but there can be lots of different lenses to take in experience or connect with experience. It can be very helpful to sharpen the awareness at times and develop some focus, but then we can apply that to seeing different ways of taking in experience.
The word, I'll mention one more thing about what it is. The word sati, satipatthana, the word sati actually means remembering, to remember. And it's hard to remember. You might get the idea, oh yeah, just be present. But to remember to be present is a whole other thing. And that's what we're doing, having more and more the habit of remembering to be present. As Analaya says in uh, this book, Satipatthana, the most exquisite treatise on mindfulness and on the Satipatthana Sutta, um, to recollect becomes just a particular instance of a state of the mind characterized by collectedness and the absence of distraction The mind is in a state of relaxed receptivity. The information one was trying to remember will suddenly spring to mind, and particularly for our practice, remembering, oh, what's happening in this moment? To remember to look, to see, oh yeah, what's happening again? And it takes practice again and again and again, as I I see all the time how humbling it is to uh, to practice for uh, many years and see in a moment you can be gone. Uh, humbling, but it's a good thing to be humbled every now and then. As I was uh, before uh, earlier today going for uh, getting some stuff out of my car, some, some couple of weights and a couple of boxes of talks and things like that. And I got the golf cart down and brought it down to my car and was pretty mindful putting everything in the golf cart. Went back up and then at tea time uh, somebody gave me the keys because my car trunk was open and the keys were out in the trunk. I said, oh great, more material for me uh, to share in my talk on mindfulness. So it's not like, oh, I got the idea and that's it. It's a continual practice. So that's basically what it is to know what's happening without getting caught in judgments about your experience. Why is it so profound? Mindfulness is in all the lists or many of the most profound lists. The, Of course, the, the eight. Uh, eightfold path, right mindfulness, paired with right effort and right concentration, what we're practicing here, right mindfulness. Mindfulness is in the list of the seven factors of enlightenment, the first factor, because it cultivates, not only is itself an awakening factor, but it cultivates the three um, energizing factors, investigation and effort and joy, and it also cultivates the stilling factors, calm, concentration, equanimity. Mindfulness cultivates all of the other six awakening factors. Just what you're doing here. It's the key in the list of the five spiritual faculties, faith and energy, 
mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And mindfulness is the balancing factor. Again, it balances faith and wisdom. It balances energy and concentration. And it develops all of those as well. And of all the 52 mental factors that in Buddhist psychology make up who we are, our mind, different mind states, some of which are uh, negative states that are states of suffering, akusala, unwholesome states, some of which are wholesome states, like those awakening factors and, and others like love and, and generosity and things like that. Mindfulness has, is the, has one unique property of all the 52 factors. It is the one factor that weakens all the unwholesome states and strengthens all the wholesome states. Isn't that cool? That mindfulness, whatever you're doing, any moment of mindfulness, you are weakening particularly greed, aversion, and delusion, the sources of all of our suffering. Because in a moment of mindfulness, there is not grasping, there's not aversion, and there's not identification. So it weakens those sources of suffering and it strengthens the sources of happiness. Non-greed, or one could say generosity, or um, the capacity to let go. Non-aversion, or loving kindness. And non-delusion, or wisdom. Every single moment that you're mindful is doing that. That's for me actually the ongoing motivation that I practice with when I think, oh, you know, do I have to be mindful? What's the point? You know, we just had a breath a moment ago. Do I have to notice this one? You know, I've been watching them a lot. You know, what's one more breath? But if you think about it, and what I think about every single moment that I'm mindful, I'm weakening unwholesome factors and strengthening wholesome factors. So every moment of mindfulness counts. That is a big motivation for me. Mindfulness can lead to concentration and it can also lead to wisdom. To first even land in the present moment so your mind isn't distracted and then you start to get enough stability of of mind that you can stay with an object. If you continue to stay with one particular object, once you kind of land in the present moment, that deepening focus can lead to deep states of concentration, absorption, and all kinds of um, absorption states. It can also lead, once you land in the present moment, to noticing, as I said earlier, that changing nature of experience 
which is what liberation is about. To have true insight, to see it's all changing, to see that holding on to changing experience is suffering, to see that you yourself are this process of change, all revealed through mindfulness. And so if you want to develop some concentration, first you have to land in the present moment. Remember to be here. And if you want to develop deep insight, keep on noticing how moment after moment life is changing. Mindfulness also interrupts our confusion, our negative thinking, or the stories that we find ourselves caught in. It is the interrupter when you, it's like waking up from a dream and instead of being in the, the dream or the movie or the nightmare, whatever it might be, or horror show, it's like, oh, that's what's going on. And it shifts your awareness from being in the story to aware that there's a story. On a neuroscience level, there's a, uh, it was one study that uh, they, um, uh, they did, this is in, uh, I think it was UCLA, where um, they showed people um, different kinds of faces, angry faces and uh, scary faces and various kinds of, of faces that triggered off um, difficult emotions or negative reactions. And one, one group, they, it was a control group, they didn't have them do anything else. Another group, they said, okay, now name the face. Name what you're seeing. And when they labeled it, oh, that's an angry face, or that's a scary face, or that's a you know, threatening face, when they named it, the, um, uh, the whole um, sympathetic response started to lessen because you're actually moving your attention to the prefrontal cortex from your, um, from your mammalian, your emotional response. Oh, that's what's going on and the, uh, the level of reaction and emotional response uh, was mitigated. And you probably know this for yourself, when you're caught up in a story, when you can realize, oh, this is just a story, you are not as likely to get swept away by it. Here's one uh, story about not getting caught up in stories uh, that I like to share. This is from... Uh, our dear friend Sylvia Borstein. Uh, One evening she was staying in New York City and she had arranged to meet a friend for a theater performance and decided to take a bus to get there. As the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, Sylvia started worrying. I'm going to be late. I'll miss the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by. And now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. Sylvia's been meditating for years, but she has also, by her own admission, been fretting for years. So it was an easy reaction to fall into. 
Then she continued with her story describing running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind whipping around her. And then she said, all of a sudden I have the thought, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment at which the mind says, oh, Sylvia, you're grumbling, the lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is, I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. That is an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt so proud and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. (laughs) There's a moment of mindfulness kind of changing the story. Oh, come on, why don't I do it? Oh, we're grumbling. Oh, look at that. And that's part of the miracle of mindfulness that in any moment you can go meta, M-E-T-A, to your experience and see, oh, that's what's happening, and hold it with awareness instead of being in the middle of the story. Another thing that mindfulness does is it amplifies wholesome states. When you are in the middle of a state of well-being, if you bring mindfulness to it, you deepen it. This is what the Buddha said when he encouraged in the fourth of the wise efforts to maintain and increase wholesome states. It's one thing to know, oh, feeling pretty good now, and it's another to notice, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. Because in your awareness, particularly including the visceral experience, the kinetic experience besides the mental state, you deepen that connection, you amplify it. As uh, Rick Hansen, our friend and uh, neuroscience expert says, mindfulness is like shining a spotlight on your experience and scooping it up with a vacuum. It just kind of deepens the grooves in the neural pathways. And it's also deepening the grooves. grooves. You might say, well, why should I do that with a negative experience? I don't want to deepen those grooves. You are deepening with mindfulness. You're deepening the grooves of understanding and not identifying with the experience and seeing, oh, that's what's going on. And so you deepen grooves of clarity and compassion. Mindfulness also includes being present for your life, to really be here for it, to wake up, with wonder and awe and appreciation. Oh, wow, I'm not missing out on my life. Here it is. And further, as mindfulness opens up the contraction of mind, because unwholesome states are connected with contraction, and mindfulness developing developing wholesome states creates some space in that space Clarity shines through, good-heartedness shines through, equanimity gets created, and it is developing the conditions for that awakening that the Buddha spoke about. So it's developing 
wisdom, generosity, love, equanimity, liberation. <clears throat> so now I'd like to talk a bit about some attitudes that open us up to this profound gift, mindfulness. This here. When I do practice, my ongoing instruction to myself is notice what's happening now. Let the experience be as it is and open to it with a relaxed, interested, kind awareness. So I want to talk particularly about those three qualities. Relaxed awareness, an interested awareness, and a kind awareness. They're all really facets of the same thing. Relaxed awareness. If you are trying really hard to be mindful, really hard to be mindful, Uh, you have my compassion. Because if you try really hard to be mindful, that efforting will contract the mind. And so the real basis for seeing clearly is to have enough space in the mind to receive the experience, to open to the experience, so that there can be some clarity relaxed awareness and the attitude that I have is a it's a wholeheartedness but a spaciousness a lightness I know what it's like to practice with one's hair on fire and there's something really powerful about it but if you have that real passion for practice you've got to remember remind yourself to lighten up from time to time to just keep it easy, be at ease. I remember on, on one time I was, I was doing uh, a uh, practice period at, at IMS, and I, in my earlier days, I was practicing with a wholeheartedness, as I do now, but I... Um, could get into a striving mode. <clears throat> Happens every now and then. Right? And I was, I was really, I was, and I loved going slow in those days, just really crawling, lifting, moving. I thought that was kind of where it was at. And it can be very profound if you can keep it light. But I was going through this um, period. I hadn't gotten, I hadn't walked outside for about, uh, for a couple of weeks, actually. I'm just kind of crawling around the center, you know. Um, I'm sure some people thought I was quite depressed, but uh, I was basically enjoying my practice, but at some point it started to get a little heavy. And then uh, it got heavier. And then I realized, wow, I am really getting tight here. I think I need a break. There was some wisdom that was shining through. And I said, I'm just, and I wasn't very mindful because I was just kind of getting tighter and tighter. I'm trying to do this practice and it's not working. And I said, I'm going to just 
I'm going to go for an unmindful walk. I'm going to kind of play hooky and go outside. It was by that time it had snowed. I hadn't been outside in, 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 since the first snow. And I was just going to have fun and stop practicing. I got on my boots and my parka and went for what I was trying to do, an unmindful walk. I was going to just forget about practice. I started walking at a normal human pace and even a fast pace. It was amazing. Left, right, left, right. Hearing, sniffling, left, right, left, right. Thinking, mindful, left, right. I couldn't turn it off. It was, it was the most mindful walk I'd had in weeks, precisely because I'd lightened up and just stopped trying so hard. And the Buddha talks about this a lot. He says, find the amount of energy that allows you to be present for the experience. Sometimes if you're feeling that you're real tight, you need to lighten up and relax. If you're too lax and lazy, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. You need to rev up the commitment a bit because mindfulness doesn't happen on its own. But finding that right balance between a wholeheartedness and an ease, that's... Uh, that's the key. It doesn't mean being lazy. Relaxed does not being lazy. It means giving a wholeheartedness to the practice in a way that allows you to really connect with it and let the heart be open. And with that, one of the, one of the ways that I find uh, I can relax a lot more about my practice in these uh, later years has been letting go of the idea that I'm responsible for how mindful I am. This can be a very big problem. Well, if I'm doing it right, I'd be more mindful than I am. And so I'll just try a little harder. And that's the answer. Uh uh-uh. It was a tremendous relief when one day grace opened up and I realized I don't have any control over how mindful I am in any one moment. You ever come into a sitting saying, I'm going to be mindful if it kills me. You know, it might if you have that kind of an attitude. But when you get when you feel that there's a report card that you're measuring your results by how mindful you are, you're missing out on a very key thing. Mindfulness, like everything, comes and goes. You can create the, in, the conditions for it to arise more and more as you bring a willingness to come into the moment every time you see you've gone. Absolutely. You can affect the development of mindfulness, but it's not a linear, you know, skyrocket into, uh, into nirvana. It's more a, a, a coming and going and a slope that is leading in the direction of more mindfulness. 
But when you let go of giving yourself the report card and simply know that you are showing up as best you can and bringing a sincerity of effort, that's your magic ingredient. To be willing to be here as best you can and to let go of the control or taking it personally when you see that you've gone. For me, the key moment in the meditation, in the whole practice, whether you're sitting or walking or doing whatever you're doing, is the moment that you realize you've been wandering. How many times have you wandered today? Coming in with the, the most sincere intention to be present, right? Your mind wanders. That's what minds do. What you do when you realize it's wandered, will condition your whole relationship to practice. When it's gone, it's gone. You might be gone for five seconds or five minutes or 25 minutes, you are gone. It can help to be in a room full of people and realize when you wake up, oh, meditating, this is what we're doing. But if when you realize you've been gone, you get into a frustration and judgment Come on, let's get back here and do this right. You are cultivating judgment and frustration and discouragement and agitation with a little bit of awareness thrown in, but you don't get any extra credit for beating yourself up. A very common second response when you see your mind has wandered, oh, I've been lost in thought. But this is a very interesting thought. Let me just go with this one now. Be careful. We can get hooked so easily. So it takes some resolve to not get caught in the thoughts and to just come back. And when you realize you've been gone, the way you come back conditions everything. If you can come back with kindness and patience and simply the sincere intention to be here once again, that's your end of the deal. Then you're cultivating patience, kindness, presence, awareness, and you're not taking it personally. Ah, okay. Along with that that kindness is a kind of... um, realization, sorry, along with that relaxed awareness is a kindness that sees you don't have to blame yourself for it. It's just what's happening. That kindness is really meta brought into the equation. Right there, by not taking it personally, you're both seeing through the self-delusion that says, you know, oh, I should be doing it better, And you're also seeing the human condition and seeing the mind just does its own thing and there's an awareness that can see it. So the relaxed awareness is imbued with kindness and compassion for just the way our mind works. Then you can be in on the joke instead of the butt of the joke. And that makes all the difference in the world. Oh yes, the mind is really out there. When you can move from 
look at my mind to, wow, look at the mind do its thing, then there's a great um, softening of heart. Relaxed, kind, and um, interested, an interested awareness. And that's really the key, to just let yourself be interested in what's happening here. And we all have that capacity. You were born with that capacity. You ever see a baby, you know, just wanting to learn? We all have that. We st- this is igniting that natural capacity inside of us. I, I have this birthday card at home that I've never sent because I love it so much and I, I wouldn't want to part with it. And it's of a, a baby, an, an infant really, with um, looking at a booger in his hand, in his fingers, staring cross-eyed, just fascinated. And then you open it up and it says, you always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. That's who we are if we can let our natural interest in this life, what is going on? Wow, I'm alive. Wow, life is happening right now. Check it out. This moment has never been here before and it will never be here again. In the finite number of moments in your life, this is one of them. And so to allow that, that sense of wonder and to be like a little child, you know, like Jesus, uh, it says in the Bible, except you be converted as children, you won't know the kingdom of heaven. It's letting that sense of wonder explore. Oh, let's be here for this moment. No matter whether it's a wonderful moment or a difficult moment, it's a moment of your life. And at first, it might take a little bit of cajoling or tricking yourself into seeing, okay, let's be here for it. But the moments of mindfulness build on each other and your interest, those moments of mindfulness, as you come here, you see more. And when you see more, it's more interesting. And when it's more interesting, you want to pay attention. And when you want to pay attention, you'll look more. And the mindfulness will get stronger. And so it's to really... Let that interest, along with your conviction and faith that got you here, keep bringing you back to the moment. And it might take some courage at times. It might take some breaking through uh, resistance. We'll talk about that as the retreat goes on. It will take going through all the things that the mind puts in the way that says, I don't know if I want to be here. But once you start seeing the miracle of mindfulness, then you know for yourself. This is uh, Mary Oliver, her poem, Mindful. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, 
to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. O good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. This is what we're doing. We're waking up to our life and in the very process, creating the very conditions that lead to the highest kind of awakening. Every single moment of mindfulness counts. So, we'll sit for a few moments. Here it is, don't miss it. Just relax into it with an interest and a kind awareness. Thanks for your attention. So we'll have a 30 minute walk. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.